Welcome to this Allen & Overy podcast. My name is Karen Chan, Senior Associate from Allen & Overy's APAC Restructuring and Recovery Group. I am joined today by my colleagues Ian Chapman and Viola Jing, also from our Restructuring and Recovery Group. And we are extremely delighted to welcome Mr. Luke Chan Ho of Devo Chambers as our guest speaker on our panel today. This podcast relates to the recent and significant decision by the Hong Kong court in Relam Tax Holdings Limited. This case concerns a Bermudan incorporated debtor company listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange with its center of main interests, Comey, in Hong Kong and with its operations in mainland China and Hong Kong. The Hong Kong court was faced with an application for an adjournment of a Hong Kong winding up petition on the grounds that a restructuring was being pursued by the company through a soft touch provisional liquidators appointed by a Bermudan court. The Bermudan winding up petition had been presented by the company and the joint provisional liquidators, the JPLs, had been appointed after the presentation of the Hong Kong winding up petition and the JPLs had applied for and had been granted recognition by the Hong Kong court some months before the adjournment application. The Hong Kong court decided to wind up the company in view of the limited evidence that any proposed restructuring would be successful. This case is significant because it represents a distillation of the Hong Kong court's approach to cross-border insolvency recognition. It offers an opportunity for insolvency practitioners to consider the current position of the law and its direction of travel. All this is, of course, in the context of seeking to identify the best ways to provide assistance to companies in distress and to facilitate cross-border restructurings, recognizing the tremendous flexibility of the Hong Kong common law, but also the commercial realities of businesses in Asia. In an ideal model law world, much of this discussion would be moot. The key question with which we are faced, however, is how to navigate the different common law systems to achieve, wherever possible, a common objective, which is to offer the best platform for the restructuring with creditor support of companies and businesses in distress. Viola Ian, perhaps it will be helpful to give the audience some background context surrounding this decision. What sort of factual scenario are we concerned about here? As a starting point, it is a very common structure for companies listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange to be incorporated offshore, most usually in Bermuda or in the Cayman Islands. Its Comey, however, is not in its place of incorporation. It may be in the mainland China, Hong Kong or elsewhere. So what happens when one of these foreign incorporated listed companies and their business need to be restructured? An essential element in any restructuring is the need for stability. This can be achieved consensually with creditor support, but that is never guaranteed. So the availability of a statutory moratorium or stay of proceedings can be crucial. If a provisional liquidator is appointed in Hong Kong, then an automatic stay comes into effect, and the provisional liquidator can be given wide powers, including powers to engage in restructuring negotiations and execute restructuring proposals. However, the Court of Appeal in Relegion decided that professional liquidators cannot be appointed solely for restructuring purposes. They can only be appointed by way of a hard-touch professional liquidation, requiring proof of the traditional grounds such as fraud, assets in jeopardy. Appointment of hard-touch professional liquidators also means that the company's directors are no longer in day-to-day control of the company. This impacts on the debtor in possession status of management, and in the case of a Hong Kong listed company in particular, this may result in a suspension of trading, 
and the clock for the delisting process will start to take. So, very interestingly, the fact that the LISCO is incorporated in Cayman or Bermuda has historically proved to be a saving grace. Both allow for the appointment of soft-touch provisional liquidators for restructuring purposes and permit the LISCO to remain under the day-to-day control of their directors. The appointment of soft-touch provisional liquidators triggers the automatic stay in Bermuda or Cayman. So the company is protected against actions by individual creditors in those jurisdictions. And because the directors of the company will still be able to retain control over the company's day-to-day affairs, it will be easier for the company to demonstrate that the appointment should not affect its management and operation, such that their listing status in Hong Kong should not be affected. From the company's perspective, the appointment of an offshore soft-touch provisional liquidators looks like a near-perfect solution which offers the prospect of a stable platform for restructuring. Not least because the majority of the provisional liquidators appointed will be based in Hong Kong, where the management and operations will be based. And the majority of its creditors are also located in either Hong Kong or mainland China. All that needs to be done, and historically all that has had to be done, is for the soft-touch provisional liquidators then to seek recognition and assistance from the Hong Kong court to extend the stay into the Hong Kong jurisdiction. However, it is important to reaffirm that the rationale behind the use of soft-touch provisional liquidation must be for the purpose of facilitating and encouraging a restructuring culture for creditors to support companies in distress. It should operate as a shield for companies to work with their creditors in a restructuring and not as a sword with which to fend off their creditors. Thanks, Viola. That's a very good overview. Your last comment about a shield and not a sword does seem entirely consistent with the Hong Kong court's recent approach to cross-border recognition. But the other recurrent theme which seems to be emerging is that of utility. And this is, again, very much a model law concept. As Viola has already noted, A very typical corporate structure in the market involving mainland Chinese companies listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange is the use of corporate vehicles with no connection with the mainland, which is commonly the Komi, or indeed with Hong Kong, where the business is listed. This group architecture involves a listed holding company incorporated in an offshore jurisdiction such as Bermuda or the Cayman Islands, one or two intermediate subsidiary holding companies incorporated in a different offshore jurisdiction, most commonly the BVI, and operating subsidiaries which are incorporated and operate in mainland China, but are commonly held under Hong Kong companies. Faced with structures like these, utility is clearly a key driver in how the Hong Kong court approaches the exercise of its jurisdiction to wind up. As we will discuss later, it is also increasingly the focus of the exercise of the court's jurisdiction to grant recognition and assistance to foreign insolvency office holders. Looking at the jurisdiction to wind up a foreign company, the Hong Kong court has a clear discretionary jurisdiction under Section 327 of the company's winding up and miscellaneous provisions ordinance. Recent cases have, however, made it clear that for a Hong Kong winding up order to be made, three core requirements must be satisfied. Namely, first, there has to be a sufficient connection with Hong Kong, although this does not necessarily have to consist of the presence of assets within the jurisdiction. Second, there must be a reasonable possibility that the winding up order will benefit those applying for it. And finally, the court must be able to exercise jurisdiction over one or more persons in the distribution of the company's assets. 
where utility are winding up and its relationship with the typical offshore incorporated LISCO group structure fits in is clearly illustrated in China Huiyan Juice, which the company sought to have the Hong Kong winding up petition filed against it adjourned pending a major restructuring of its debts steered by its onshore creditors, i.e. those in mainland China. The court decided that a Hong Kong winding up order would not benefit the petitioner for a number of reasons, including the important fact that liquidators appointed by a Hong Kong court would not be able to take control of the company's operating subsidiaries in the mainland because the Hong Kong liquidators would be unable to take control of the company's direct subsidiaries in the BVI and drill down through the corporate structure. Therefore, the court reasoned, there was no utility in ordering the winding up because the objective of being able to recover assets from the mainland could not be achieved by winding up the company in Hong Kong. Utility would require the primary insolvency jurisdiction to be the place of incorporation. So the takeaways so far are, in Hong Kong, the only way to achieve a generic stay is to place the company in provisional liquidation. As a result, soft-touch provisional liquidators facilitate restructuring in a way that Hong Kong law cannot easily accommodate. A key driver to the making of a Hong Kong winding up order is utility in the administration of the case, and an equally key driver in seeking adjournment of a Hong Kong winding up petition where the three tests are satisfied is the utility of the continuing restructuring effort. Thanks, Ian and Viola. This is very helpful context. So it seems that the lamb tax decision is simply the next in a series of cases but focuses more on the utility of granting recognition and assistance to a foreign insolvency office holder, something which implies a movement by the Hong Kong court towards an unsatural model law approach. Look, is that right? Yes, indeed. In fact, the land tax decision of itself uh, is not a new legal development as such because uh, it is showing a trend of cases that we saw since early 2000. As Mr. Justice Harris put it in land text, soft-touch provisional liquidation can in many ways be regarded as a technique developed in Hong Kong to circumvent the problems caused by the Court of Appeal decision in the legend. Following on the legend decision, the Hong Kong Court has developed a technique referred to as the ZOB technique, whereby there was an increasing use of offshore soft-touch provisional liquidations by companies listed in Hong Kong. And then they would use Hong Kong common law recognition regime to give effect to the foreign insolvency procedures in order to facilitate corporate rescue and to seek an adjournment of the Hong Kong winding up proceedings. Whilst all this has been very much to the good and has resulted in a number of very successful restructurings, which typically would involve Hong Kong schemes of arrangement and parallel schemes of arrangement in the country of incorporation, with the offshore parallel scheme being ancillary to the Hong Kong scheme. This development has led since early 2000 to a lot of cases where there were competing Hong Kong winding up petitions and offshore soft-touch provisional liquidation where the soft-touch PLs would come to Hong Kong to seek recognition and assistance in order to stay the Hong Kong winding up proceedings. 
all these developments led to land tax. The culmination of all this development in land tax has led to now a focus being put on the following. First, the model law concept of COMIT or center of main interest. Secondly, whether recognition and assistance ought to be given as a matter of course to soft touch PLs simply by virtue of their appointment by the courts of the jurisdiction of incorporation. And third, whether in terms of a state of proceedings, primacy should be given to the offshore process. I mentioned the line of cases since early 2000. I briefly summarized them here. The first is China Oil. There, there was an application for recognition of the offshore soft touch PL, and the recognition was granted. But that recognition was granted on the basis that it was without prejudice to an existing Hong Kong winding up petition. In other words, the grant of the recognition in China Oil meant that the company could not subsequently oppose the winding up petition in Hong Kong solely on the ground that the company was in soft touch PL offshore. The second key development was the case of FDG, where Mr. Justice Harris said that when the Hong Kong court recognized an offshore PL order, there would not be in future an automatic stay on proceedings in Hong Kong. Therefore, after FDG, it became very clear that an offshore PL order would not of itself serve to stay the Hong Kong winding up petition. And more recently, Mr. Judge Harris in Ping An Securities reaffirmed that concept. In that case, there was a pending Hong Kong petition and the debtor sought to adjourn the petition relying on the fact that it was subject to an offshore restructuring proposal. The company there was expecting to file evidence to indicate that there were credible prospects of a successful restructuring. The company's judge allowed the adjournment solely on the basis that there was credible restructuring proposal, as opposed to the fact that the company was subject to an offshore PL. So therefore, in summary, after land tax, the Hong Kong court's approach is that when considering an application to adjourn the Hong Kong winding up petition, the court would take into account the following four key factors. The first is the company's commit. The second is a qualitative assessment of the number of creditors for and against the winding up order in Hong Kong. Thirdly, the reasons proffered by the supporting and opposing creditors. And lastly, the feasibility of the proposed restructuring. Thanks, Luke. We will, of course, continue our discussion of lamb tax in greater detail shortly. But before we do so, would you be able to first recap for our audience the traditional historical approach taken by the Hong Kong court towards recognition and assistance of foreign liquidations and provisional liquidators? Yes, indeed. In Hong Kong, as we all know, the concept of recognition and assistance derives solely from the common law because we have not had any legislation on cross-border insolvency. Therefore, relying on the common law, the Hong Kong courts applied the principle of committee 
and the concept of modified universalism. The concept of modified universalism is such that the court has to identify a particular jurisdiction so that insolvency proceedings would be given the primary role. For example, in a liquidation following modified universalism, all the assets of that company would be distributed in accordance with that jurisdiction's law. So that is the primary jurisdiction. Because the Hong Kong court was relying on the common law, the natural primary jurisdiction would be the country of incorporation. So that has been the traditional common law approach until land tax. So in land tax, Justice Harris has now steered the development of this area of law, ushering Hong Kong's insolvency regime into, as you have coined previously, a new and commendable era. Can you briefly take us through how this area of law evolved over time? Yes. So it would be helpful to revisit the circumstances that prompted the change in law that Mr. Justice Harris tried to promulgate in land tax. The key prompt was that in recent years, in fact, the trend that I summarized since early 2000, there had been a number of applications in Hong Kong for recognition and assistance of offshore PLs in Hong Kong. And all those cases related to the offshore structures that Ian and Viola helpfully summarized just now. The owners of this company, of those companies and their businesses have in effect no connection whatsoever with their offshore country of incorporation. All they have offshore is simply their registration. So in cross-border insolvency terms, those jurisdictions are known as the letterbox jurisdiction. In other words, when a jurisdiction is a letterbox jurisdiction, it is not the jurisdiction in which the company has its code. So this is commercial reality that we see in Asia. So what prompts Mr. Justice Harris to signal the change in law is to reflect this type of commercial reality. In view of this commercial reality, it has now become clear and apparent to the court that the restricted view of the common law recognition and assistance focusing on the place of incorporation no longer serves Hong Kong because there is a growing mismatch between the common law rule focusing on the place of incorporation and the business reality. So therefore, the judge, our company's judge, using the common law, develops the law to reflect the common the business reality. This is one of the beauties of the common law in being able to show its flexibility to develop and to be consistent with the business reality and commercial practice. So the issue that the judge considered in land tax is in fact a very wide one. In focusing on COVID, the particular concept is not limited to a competition between the Hong Kong jurisdiction and the offshore jurisdiction of incorporation. Fundamentally, it concerns whether the common law of Hong Kong could be extended to permit recognition of insolvencies in places other than the country's 
place of incorporation. In particular, the place where the company has its commit or something similar or something to that effect. So in concluding that there was no doctrinal reason why the Hong Kong court should not use commit to determine the Hong Kong court's ability to grant recognition and assistance as a matter of common law to foreign insolvency proceedings. The judge has taken one step further by acknowledging that there is nothing in principle preventing the Hong Kong court granting recognition to foreign liquidators or foreign office holders, not just liquidators, appointed not just in the country of incorporation, but in the country where the company has its commit or other jurisdiction with which it has a sufficiently strong connection. It remains to be seen how the Hong Kong court will exercise this discretion. Related to that is whether the Hong Kong court will exercise its jurisdiction to wind up a foreign incorporated company if the connection between the company and Hong Kong is sufficiently substantial and the other core requirements are thus satisfied and whether it will give primacy to the jurisdiction of incorporation for reasons of utility that we summarized just now. These are simply a subset of the issues. So Mr. Justice Harris' decision in Lamb Tax implies that he is prepared to recognize foreign liquidators of a Hong Kong company appointed by the courts of the company's COMI if they sought recognition from the Hong Kong courts. This will bring the Hong Kong common law very much closer to the ancestral model law concept. Even so, and while this is a very exciting development and very much in line with the way in which the common law in Singapore was developing before the adoption of the model law, it is important to note that under Hong Kong law, the starting point will remain that the place of incorporation should be the primary jurisdiction. But if the COMI is different from the place of incorporation of the company, other factors will fall to be considered. First, whether the company is a holding company, and if so, does the group structure require the place of incorporation to be the primary jurisdiction in order to effectively liquidate or restructure the group? Secondly, the extent to which giving primacy to the place of incorporation is artificial, having regard to the strength of the company's connection with its location, and lastly, the views of creditors. Thank you, Luke and Viola. Ian, given what we've just heard, do you think listed companies in Hong Kong incorporated in offshore jurisdictions should approach appointing soft-touch provisional liquidators offshore in light of Lamtex? For offshore incorporated companies listed in Hong Kong, whose Comey centers in either Hong Kong or mainland China, there may be a need to rethink the merits of appointing soft-touch provisional liquidators. Particularly soft-touch provisional liquidation offshore cannot be thought of guaranteeing an automatic stay to creditor action in Hong Kong. Moreover, where companies make last-minute applications for soft-touch provisional liquidation after a winding-up petition has already been presented in Hong Kong, Lamtex suggests that the court will take a very dim view of this as an inappropriate form of forum shopping and even goes so far as to not recognize offshore provisional liquidators at all. Appointing provisional liquidators offshore would clearly be of little practical benefit to the company in cases like this. And the company itself can, of course, apply to adjourn a Hong Kong winding up petition 
if there is creditor support for a restructuring without need for soft-touch provision liquidators being appointed or seeking recognition. Indeed, where the Comey is clearly in Hong Kong, the line of authority seems to suggest that even where the appointment of soft-touch PLs is supported by the creditors in order to facilitate or indeed to bring additional credibility to a proposed restructuring, the JPLs might be best advised to wait and only apply for recognition and a stay in Hong Kong if litigation is commenced or a winding-up petition is presented in Hong Kong which threatens the restructuring. But where a Hong Kong petition has already been presented or is subsequently presented, the question then becomes, what now is the difference between soft-touch JPLs applying for an adjournment or winding-up petition or a stay of litigation and the company itself doing this? The driver for the granting of an adjournment or a stay is, as we have discussed, utility, not office. Viola, do you think there are still advantages to appointing offshore provisional liquidators? Yes, as I have mentioned at the start of our discussion, professional liquidators in Hong Kong cannot be appointed solely to carry out a restructuring as a result of re-legend. The threshold for appointing hard-touch professional liquidators in Hong Kong may also be hard to satisfy and it impacts on the company's debtor in possession status. Appointing hard-touch professional liquidators can be value destructive as they entail a greater loss of management control and can result in trading in a listed company's shares being suspended. Soft-touch professional liquidators still operate under the supervision and oversight of the court, which can help build lender confidence and trust in any restructuring process. The professional liquidators also provide independent expertise and support to companies implementing a restructuring. Therefore, despite the issues we have discussed, there are still reasons why it may be preferable in certain circumstances to appoint soft-touch professional liquidators offshore for restructuring purposes. Given the uncertainties around the recognition of offshore provisional liquidators in Hong Kong, Ian Viola, do you think appointing a chief restructuring officer, a CRO, to the company can be another viable alternative? That's a very interesting question, given the points we have discussed about utility. Appointing a CRO has several advantages. It avoids much of the legal complexity associated with appointing provisional liquidators. Companies do not need to consider the legal powers that will be granted to a provisional liquidator or apply for recognition in other jurisdictions. At the same time, the debtor company can benefit from the expertise of an external restructuring professional. Oddly, it's simply a return to traditional Hong Kong consensual restructuring, at which historically we've been very good. Consideration, however, needs to be given as to how the company can be protected from hostile legal action and maintain stability during the restructuring. But as just noted, if a winding up petition is presented, or indeed litigation is commenced against the company in Hong Kong, the company can apply itself to stay the proceedings under Section 181 of the company's winding up and miscellaneous provisions ordinance. The grounds for staying or adjourning winding up petitions were referred to in Lamtex, and the relevant principles were also previously set out in Rechase on Development. The court will assess the level of creditor support for the winding up petition, any reasons given by creditors for support for or opposition to the petition, as well as the feasibility of a proposed restructuring. If the company has a credible restructuring proposal supported by a sufficient body of creditors, it can potentially achieve the same effect as a successful recognition application by an offshore soft-touch provisional liquidator by staying the winding up proceedings in Hong Kong. 
And of course, any issue with regard to a petition being presented in the jurisdiction of incorporation of the company itself would be expected to be dealt with in exactly the same way without need for a PL appointment. The company could still make an application to the court for an adjournment of the petition on grounds that there is a credible restructuring proposal. Indeed, given the whole development of the soft touch approach by the Bermudan and Cayman courts in aid of cross-border restructuring, it would seem more than likely that those courts would take a pragmatic approach and stay any proceedings brought in Bermuda or Cayman so as to allow the CRO in Hong Kong to attempt a restructuring, particularly if the creditors supported this. And I think there are also other benefits to the CRO approach. First, the company will only need to consider whether the Hong Kong court has a jurisdiction to wind it up and whether there is a credible restructuring proposal with creditor support if and when it needs to apply to stay a winding up petition brought by a creditor. Secondly, it may not be necessary to debate the primacy of the company's place of incorporation or its commi as compared to a recognition application by offshore professional liquidators. Overall, this will save legal cost for the company company and could be perceived more positively by creditors who may view the use of offshore proceedings as intended simply to frustrate a winding up petition in Hong Kong. At the end of the day, companies can always apply for soft-touch professional liquidation offshore or hard-touch professional liquidation in Hong Kong later should it become necessary. This seems to be an extremely attractive option from the company's perspective. But just thinking from a creditor's perspective, given the appointment of a CRO isn't a court-supervised process, and the CRO is, strictly speaking, under the company's employment and cannot be seen to be completely independent and impartial, creditors may be concerned about insufficient control or oversight of the restructuring. How can companies address this? There are a couple of ways to increase lender confidence in a restructuring led by a CRO. The first would, of course, be to ensure that the choice of CRO was endorsed by the major or lead creditors. The terms of engagement would also need to be agreed, which would include matters such as powers and remuneration and authority indeed obligation to report to creditors. And as would be required in any event, the creditors would expect compliance with other milestones and undertakings. But the point about oversight is a good one. And if a petition had already been presented, the appointment of a CRO might not only facilitate adjournments with the support of creditors, but that support could in turn be conditioned on the CRO and the company, providing undertakings to the court as the conduct of the restructuring. It's interesting, Ian, that you mentioned this, because this ties in with one of our recent cases involving a Hong Kong winding up petition against a Hong Kong company, ultimately owned by a PRC parent company, which is in administration. An application was made by the petitioning creditor under Section 193 of the company's winding up and miscellaneous provisions ordinance to appoint professional liquidators in Hong Kong, since there was an urgent need for the Hong Kong company to undertake certain filings in the PRC to protect its interest in the administration of the PRC parent. The professional liquidator's application was adjourned sine die, but instead the court granted a mandatory injunction that required the company's directors to make those filings within a specified period of time, failing which the petitioning creditor was at liberty to resume the PL application. 
So perhaps one way to increase lender confidence in a CLO-led restructuring would be to combine the appointment of a CLO together with an adjourned professional liquidator application, such that the CLO is required to act upon certain court-sanctioned undertakings in relation to the restructuring within a specified time frame, failing which the creditors can simply resume their adjourned PL application at any moment. Thanks, Ian and Viola. This is a novel and creative solution. Just pausing here for now, perhaps it will be useful at this juncture to think ahead about the future of restructuring and cross-border recognition regime. Look, in light of our discussion about the challenges caused by the Relegend decision, do you think this is the time for a reform of Hong Kong's insolvency legislation? Yes, indeed. It has long been recognized by insolvency practitioners in Hong Kong that there is a need to amend our current legislation in order to allow the court the flexibility to grant an order to appoint PLs so that they could be appointed for restructuring purposes in order to avoid the issues caused by legend. This can be done by a simple amendment to the legislation on the appointment of PLs, section 193, by just adding a few words to that section. So after the amendment, the section would read something like this. Subject to the provisions of this section, the court may appoint provision liquidators at any time after the presentation of a winding up petition and before the making of a winding up order in the stock of that company. And here are the key words. On such grounds as the court thinks fit, including on the grounds that the company intends to present a compromise or arrangement to its creditors. In fact, this proposed amendment has been submitted to the Financial Services and the Treasury Bureau by the Company and Insolvency Law Society. I absolutely agree with you, look, that an amendment to Section 193 is necessary. If you consider the various solutions we discussed in the past 30 minutes or so, they are intended to facilitate a restructuring, which are either artificial for example, the appointment of a CRO to go with an adjourned PL application or may not even be recognized in the case of offshore soft-touch PLs. But with that said, amending Section 193 alone may not work unless the PLs appointed in Hong Kong are recognized offshore too. The requirement for utility will still require recognition of the Hong Kong restructuring PLs in the BVI, Cayman and Bermuda. Utility is a two-way street and the lack of offshore recognition would mean that a Hong Kong provisional liquidator would still remain unable to take control of the shares of the intermediate BVI subsidiary holding companies. This is perhaps why when Mr. Justice Harris appears to have gone out of his way in the Lamtex decision to note that there is, quotes, nothing in principle preventing recognition of liquidators appointed in a company's COMI or a jurisdiction with which it has a sufficiently strong connection to justify recognition just as the Hong Kong court will exercise its discretion to wind up a foreign incorporated company if the connection between it and Hong Kong is substantial and the other core requirements are satisfied. It does seem he is not simply suggesting that the Hong Kong courts will be willing to recognize foreign liquidators appointed in a company's comi. But, and this is of course not for the first time, he's actually inviting reciprocity. This is the recurring theme 
the principle of utility. And as Mr. Justice Harris discussed in Lamtex, there are clear case precedents in the Bermudan and Cayman courts, recognizing Hong Kong office holders appointed for the purposes of restructuring, where this is necessary for or conducive to recognition of the extraterritorial effect of a Hong Kong scheme of arrangement, whether through a parallel scheme or for the purposes of a Chapter 15 recognition. Yes, given how innovative they have been in developing soft-touch liquidation, there would seem to be every reason for the Caribbean courts to embrace the recognition of foreign office holders appointed on the basis of Comey to advance the common objective of facilitating the restructuring of distressed companies. So maybe this podcast is not so much about the development of Hong Kong common law, but it's about the Hong Kong courts' invitation to the Bermudan, Cayman and BVI courts to develop, together with Hong Kong, a common law, model law approach to cross-border insolvency recognition. Thank you, Luke, Ian and Viola. We appreciate that we have covered a lot of ground in our 30-minute discussion, so please do look out for our written article that distills the content discussed today, which will be published on our website in due course. I hope you find this podcast helpful, and thank you for joining us. (music) 